First of all, I want to remind you that the uh, sermon outline is on, on the back of your bulletin with some blanks to be filled in. And see, this will come in handy because if later you think of someone who might be blessed by this message, you can just pass that along to them with the blanks filled in. The other thing I want to say has to do with this series about marriage. Uh, this is the second Sunday in the series, and sometimes that subject as a series of sermons can make some people uncomfortable. Uh, if you are divorced, a series on marriage could make, remind you of a failed marriage, and therefore that could be uncomfortable. But I want to say to you today that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. When we repent of any failure on our part, God is eager and willing to forgive. He is more willing to forgive than we are to confess. And we've got to remember that we serve the God of second chances. Also, if you happen to be a widow or widower, this could be an uncomfortable subject, especially if you are a new widow or widower. This could be a painful reminder of how much you miss that special person. And to you, I want to say, remember, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is Comforter. And when we open our hurting places to Him, especially in a worship service, the Holy Spirit works wonders in healing us at those sensitive places. And then I want to say a word to the single people. And I, we got a lot of them in this congregation because they may think at first glance, well, this series on marriage is not for me. Well, don't be too sure. I want to remind you that love is a many splendored thing. And it often strikes people when they least expect it. A few years ago, I performed a wedding for an 88-year-old man and an 85-year-old woman. And the man was sort of hard of hearing, so several times in the course of the ceremony, he whispered, should I kiss her now? Should I kiss her now? <laughs> and after he had whispered it about three times, I finally whispered back. I said, when I point at you, kiss her. And he did an outstanding job. Um, knowing that they came from different parts of Tennessee, uh, I was curious, and I asked him, how did you happen to meet? And they replied, on eHarmony.com. <laughs> Who says older people don't use computers? But the main point is that love knows no restrictions of age or geography. Let's pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Some years ago, my wife Gloria and I decided to take dancing lessons at the local Arthur Murray studio. We had always loved to shag to beach music, but we wanted to add to our repertoire and learn to foxtrot and waltz and some others. So, for six weeks, one night a week, we went down to Arthur Murray. 
uh, to learn some dance steps. Well, the problem we ran into was we did not have a room at our house big enough to practice. But then it occurred to me there's a classroom at the church that would be ideal. So every night after we took our lesson at Arthur Murray, we went to this classroom. I'd plug in my music box and the CDs, and we'd dance to our heart's content. I must confess to you I was a little bit anxious because I thought to myself, what if somebody passes by the church and looks through the window and they call the police and a policeman barges in here and says, what's going on? Will he believe me when I say to him, look, I'm the pastor of this church. That's my wife and we're practicing our dance steps. Well, I thought further about this matter. And I concluded, you know, it is totally appropriate that we dance at the church. Why? Well, one, we know that the, the church is God's house. We know that God has a vested interest in good marriages. We know that dancing helps build good marriages. Therefore, it is totally appropriate to dance at church. I thought about maybe putting an article in the paper inviting other married couples to come join us for dancing at the church. But not wanting to offend some of my Baptist friends, I dropped the idea. Nevertheless, I offer this true statement as almost biblical. If a couple not only prays together, but also dances together, they are almost impossible to separate. Every great marriage is a holy, glorious triangle. God, man, woman. And as long as the relationships are kept healthy all three ways, the home is on solid rock. Houses are built by contractors, but only God can build a home. As the psalmist said, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. God invented and defined marriage. Marriage was God's idea. You could say that God officiated at the first marriage of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We respect the United States Supreme Court. But when the court and Jesus disagree about the definition of marriage, I'm going with Jesus. The Bible does not say that marriage is appropriate for any two consenting adults who want to share the same bed. The Bible says, and I quote, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Jesus quoted those exact words in Matthew 19 and then added this admonition, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, God is truly the one who unites husband and wife, and he's the central one in the God-man-woman love triangle. What was the basic need that marriage met way back there in the Garden of Eden? Well, it was not sex, though we may assume that Adam and Eve had normal sexual needs, and we know that sex is one of God's glorious gifts to humanity. The most basic need that marriage met was a cure for loneliness. God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Every great marriage has at its core a deep friendship wrapped in love of God and love for each other. Now, since God invented, defined, and endorsed marriage, he has a vested interest in helping build great marriages.
And over the years, I have observed three specific ways in which God strengthens and protects marriage. First, God changes our hearts. Because you see, in our natural condition, we are corrupted by sin, all of us. And the primary symptom of sin is selfishness. And that's not to say there's no good in us. There is. But even the good is tainted by sin. And only the redeeming power of Christ can overcome that sinful selfishness. Without God at the center, holy wedlock can deteriorate into unholy deadlock. And we've all seen that. And that sad truth is illustrated by the words inscribed on a tombstone near the town of Ribsford, England. It reads as follows. Here lies Anna Wallace. The children of Israel wanted bread and God sent them manna. Old man Wallace wanted a sweet wife and the devil sent him Anna. Mercy. Now the sad truth is that all of us have some Anna Wallace in us. Yes, we do. You know, we have that side of us, the bad side. Yes, you do and I do. Uh, we are capable of being petty and selfish, mean-spirited, resentful, jealous, ornery. I think that's a southern word, ornery. But you know what it means, don't you? Yes, and you have an ornery side. Now, don't go later today and ask your spouse, have you ever seen me being ornery? Because you might stress the spouse's honesty beyond the breaking point. Don't do that. <laughs> Rather than taking responsibility for our failures, we blame others and sometimes even the ones we love. Way back there when God reprimanded Adam for eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, he took it like a man, blamed his wife. But thankfully, we have another side to us that is really beautiful. Yes, we do. At our best, we can be kind and tolerant, sensitive, forgiving, compassionate. Oh, yes, that we've got a beautiful side. Now, here's where the miracle comes in. When a couple is committed to Christ, God puts a restrainer on that ugly side and an amplifier on the beautiful side. Don't ask me how. I'm in sales, not production. I just know that God does it. How he does it, I don't know. But I've witnessed it. I've experienced it. I didn't say God eliminates our ugly side. No, it'll pop up every once in a while. But even when it does, we recognize it pretty quickly and are motivated to repent for it. Every great marriage is a love triangle and God is the controlling partner. Now, if you are in a troubled marriage today, I've got a question for you and a challenge. Here's the question. Have you as a couple invited Jesus Christ to be the head of your home? And if the answer is no, here's the challenge. I challenge both of you to get down on your knees beside the bed tonight and offer a prayer similar to this one that is printed in your bulletin. 
Lord, we confess that as sinners, we are unable to create a great marriage, but we believe that you can. We invite you to take charge of this marriage and of our home. Amen. The living Christ can revolutionize any marriage. Here's the second major difference that the Lord makes in a marriage. God keeps the well of love from going dry. God keeps the well of love from going dry. As you know, currently in America, the institution of marriage is under attack. There are a record number of couples just living together without benefit of marriage, just sharing the same house. And there are many prominent athletes who take great pride in showing off their children born to their girlfriends. And all oh, they tell us in the newspaper how much they love those children. The most loving thing they could do for those children is to marry their mothers. Hollywood openly ridicules marriage. The pop star Madonna, when asked about marriage, said, why would two intelligent people want to do that? And there's a Satan-inspired myth believed by many Americans that marriage kills off real romance as surely as Roundup kills weeds. Many believe that, that most married couples are profoundly bored with each other and can't think of anything interesting to say anymore. And I'll admit to you, that when God has no important part in a marriage, those kinds of things happen. Witness our terrible divorce rate. But a strange, strange thing happens in a Christ-centered marriage. Rather than getting bored with each other, somehow, mysteriously, miraculously, God keeps the good chemistry sparking. Again, I don't know how I'm in sales, but I know he does. It's not that Christian couples are blind to each other's faults, not at all. Uh, the late Ruth Graham, wife of the great Dr. Billy Graham, was once asked if she had ever considered divorcing Billy Graham. She said, no. So I've thought about killing him a couple of times, but <laughs> never, never divorcing him, no. You see, the, the mystery is that the love supply is so strong that the negatives are not destructive. In a Christian marriage, our love for our partner is constantly being rejuvenated and renewed at levels deeper than we can understand. It's miraculous. Though, though the years may take a toll on our looks, Though hair may be growing in inappropriate places, though some of our body parts may need uh, to be lifted, nevertheless, we cherish each other more with every passing year. And that's a miracle wrought by God. God keeps the good chemistry sparking. No, it's not the wild emotions that we felt when we first fell in love. No, in some ways it's more wonderful than that because it's less volatile, more solid, less fickle, more dependable. Years ago, the singer Paul Simon put out a song entitled, 
still crazy after all these years. If love in a Christian marriage is still crazy in a wonderful way, then let's celebrate it. And surely God deserves the credit. Now, one way to celebrate this great truth is by renewing your wedding vows. You know, a lot of couples do that on their 10th or 25th or 50th anniversaries. But you don't have to wait for a special anniversary to do it, you know. A lot of couples do it just because they want to invite God to have a greater role in their marriage than ever before. And most of us clergy are available, and we're absolutely delighted to help you in such a happy event. Here's the third great work that God does in a marriage. God makes the bonds of love almost unbreakable. God makes the bonds of love almost unbreakable. When couples, oh, I've watched probably a thousand. When couples who are 21, 23, 25 years old stand at the altar and pledge for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death us do part, they cannot know the vastness of that commitment. It's only with God's help that they begin to understand what St. Paul meant when he wrote in 1 Corinthians, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, all married couples go through some hard times. Hard times will either bond us more firmly to each other or will divide us. And if your marriage is just a man-woman relationship, it's likely that hard times will drive you apart. But if you are part of a love triangle, God, man, woman, even the hard times will be used by God to strengthen the bonds of love. One of my heroes is the late Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, formerly president of Columbia International University. Dr. McQuilkin resigned that position uh, when his wife Muriel was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he devoted himself uh, to caring for her. And in the last year of her life, he virtually did everything. During that time, he wrote a poignant, powerful little book about the experience called A Promise Kept. And in that little book, he wrote this. Love is said to evaporate if it's not mutual, if the other person doesn't communicate, if they don't carry their share of the load, if it's not physical. When I hear the litany of essentials of a happy marriage, I count off what my beloved can no longer contribute. Then I marvel at how truly mysterious love is. End of quote. God is the key to the McQuilkin marriage because he is at the center. Let me give you another glimpse into a God-centered marriage. This is a true story that comes from a powerful little book called Mortal Lessons by the surgeon, Dr. Richard Selzer. Dr. Selzer tells in that book about standing at the bedside of a young woman whom he had performed surgery on the day, bef the, the day before and her mouth was twisted in palsy. 
Dr. Selzer had removed a cancerous tumor from her cheek. But in the process, he had to sever a tiny facial nerve that controlled the muscles around her mouth. She held a mirror up and looked at herself and then asked the surgeon, will I always be like this? And he answered, yes. And at that moment, her young husband standing beside the bed smiled and said, I like it. I think it's cute. And he bent over and kissed her crooked mouth. And Dr. Seltzer said, at that moment, I had to lower my eyes because I was witnessing something almost divine. Yes, he was. He was witnessing the God-man-woman triangle. Remember, every great marriage is a glorious triangle. God, man, woman. And as long as the relationships are kept healthy, all three ways, the home is on solid rock. Houses are built by contractors, but only God can build a home. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. My brothers and sisters, the greatest security on earth is knowing that nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But second only to that is the exquisite joy and peace that comes from knowing that you and your spouse are so firmly grafted into God and each other that absolutely nothing is strong enough to tear you apart. One of my favorite writers is the late great poet laureate of South Carolina, Archibald Rutledge. Printed in your bulletin is a portion of a poem written by Dr. Rutledge entitled, Final Proof. Now, if you want to score a major hit on Valentine's Day, I dare you to write on the back of the Valentine card these words from Final Proof. I do not need some tremendous miracle to give me faith in God. A violet would do, or a spire of goldenrod, or a daisy or two. But if I had to have a magic and a wonder to rend my doubts asunder, to prove God true, it would be you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.